So today we start a giving campaign. It's called Above and Beyond. Somebody say Above and Beyond. Now we get that term for two reasons. Number one, we need something above us, which is a roof. And uh, we were promised when we got into this building, oh, it's got five years left. Guess what? It has two years left. So we got re to replace that thing. We got an uh, initial quote right off the bat for $1 million for a roof. Then we got a couple more quotes, and we got a, a quote along the way for $250,000. How many know that that's better than a million dollars? So I guess the first roof company was a Mercedes-Benz roof. We're going to get a Honda roof. How many know Honda lasts just as long? Praise be to Jesus. I'll take a Honda roof. Secondly, we want to finally put in the parking lot over on that side of the building. What you need to know for you who come and, and, and you're not yet on the serve team is that our serve team voluntarily parks over there in the uncomfortable spots, but it, Cars go down the street, uh, they double park, they park each other in, it's a mess over there. And they do that so that we have plenty of parking over here. Now on a day like today where it's snowing and only the true Christians from New England show up. Yeah. You liked that line, didn't you? Uh, we might not have a parking problem over there, but on regular weekends, we have a parking problem over there, we have a parking problem over there, so we, wanna, we, wanna, we have the plans done from last year's building campaign. They are signed off on the town and the planning board. Everything's legal and legit, and we want to get the pavement going over there. Uh, some um, drainage has to go in, some, some serious excavation has to happen, so that's got to happen. That's about 100, 150 grand, uh, 250 grand, 150 grand for the parking. And then this is the great news. Uh, this past week, we just signed a letter of intent for a permanent location for our Woonsocket campus. They are going to have a home. Yeah. They're going to have a home uh, on Social Street right in the downtown area. So we are excited. 13,000 square feet. This is fantastic. Which if you've been with us for any amount of time from our old building, it's just a little smaller than our old building for this location. So you think about the growth potential for Woonsocket. We don't want a little church in Woonsocket. We want a great big church to the glory of Jesus in Woonsocket. You say, why do you like big churches, Pastor Nick? Because big churches can make a big difference. And, and I believe there are, I think, like 40,000, 48,000 people in Woonsocket. And uh, right now we have about 100, 120 people showing up. We want to have 1,000 people showing up every weekend to start making an impact in that city. Amen? Amen. So we want to pay for that, and uh, that's going to be renovated. Now, the people that we are leasing from, they are going to do the uh, deconstruction of what was there. It was an old racquetball facility. They're going to do the deconstruction and give us basically an empty shell. We just got to do some construction, some, some walls, uh, and some egress issues and all that stuff. And, and, and then, of course, we got to put a good sound system in, good children's system in, all that kind of stuff. So all this stuff costs money. Now, here's the thing you got to realize. Uh, where you're sitting right now, and I talked about this in I Was Next, where you're sitting right now uh, was paid for by somebody before you. And, and years ago, we did campaigns. They were called, how many remember? God can, we will, God has, we must, all those kind of like phrases we used to throw around every year. Well, I used to ask them, let's put money into a building, a permanent location for Waters Church North Attleboro. And those people did it. And the comfortable confines in which you find yourself right now, uh, the parking that you have now, the great children's program, teaching your kids the Bible right now, uh, that cafe, the parking, uh, the, I'm sorry, the uh, Next Step Center, the Next Steps classroom upstairs, all this stuff was paid for by people before you, maybe some of you as well. But how many are thankful that people listened to me years ago and supplied this space for you? Come on. Yeah. Well, 
pay it forward. And that's what this is about. Pay it forward to the next generation. And let's not let the kingdom of God stop with us. It is not about us. There are many more people that God wants us to reach in New England for the glory of his name. We live in the least Christian area of the nation, the least biblically minded, the place where the, the gospel needs the most impact. And so let's put our money where our faith is, amen, and let's invest. I want to start this series with a message called, It's All About Bringing People to Jesus. Mark chapter 2, it's all about bringing people to Jesus. That's the title of the message, and I want you to pull out your bulletins. They look like this, because in the bulletins there is a note page, and it looks like this, and we want you to follow along uh, as I go through this message, and we're going to talk about um, why we do what we do today. And... Uh, I also want to say welcome to those who are watching by video, whether it's through our local television station or online around the world. We're so glad that you're joining us here at uh, Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. Come on, everybody here, let's welcome them in. Give them a good snowy morning hello. Mark chapter 2. So let's get to the scriptures, then we'll unpack it today. Um, Oh, no, wait. Before we get to the scriptures, I want to actually say one more thing about our giving campaign. On your notes, you'll see their capital campaign weekend, April 6th and 7th. So circle those dates. And don't you dare miss church that day. If you miss church that day, we're taking another offering the next weekend. That is our, that is our capital campaign offering weekend. It's the one Sunday of the year we take two offerings. And here's why. I want you to start praying now about what you want to give to this campaign. And then you can either give a large portion on that day or you can commit that day to give throughout the year to above and beyond. Both count. Maybe you might want to do both. I don't know. But here's what I always tell married couples. You both go to your prayer closets individually. You pray, God, what would you have us give as a married couple? You come back together again. And then you add those two amounts together and that's what you give. I've adjusted that from last year's campaign, if you remember. I used to say whoever had the largest amount, that's the number from God. Nope, we're adding them together this year. Hallelujah. Okay, next year is multiply them. <laughs> All right, no, I'm just kidding. So April 6th and 7th, and here's what we're going to do. I, we've never done this before. With our regular tithes and offerings, we have done this. For the last uh, six years, going on six years now, with our regular tithes and offerings, you might not know this, you might know this. You probably do. We take one-tenth of everything that comes in, it goes right out. It goes to Providence Rescue Mission. It goes to Abundant Hope Pregnancy Resource Center. It goes to uh, Mana Missions in India. It goes to El Salvador. We sponsor a Compassion International Village in El Salvador. Uh, it goes all around the world. It goes to Spain. It goes everywhere to missions organizations that we trust that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of our building. Ever since we did that, God has abundantly supplied our needs in this church. Do you know why? Because God honors those who honor him with the first tenth. That's what happens. We do that individually as Christians, but we should do that also corporately as a church. So we tithe as a church. Now, here's what we've never done. We've never tithed on our capital campaigns. So this year, the first year, I went to Guatemala with the team last week. God spoke to me. I really believe this is in God's heart. I believe it should be in our heart. And what we're going to do is with the above and beyond capital campaign, the first tenth is going to go to sponsoring a village in Guatemala to the glory of Jesus. So I'm excited. Whatever that amount is, the first 10th. 
Now, if you give weekly for the next year and you say you give $200 a week or $200 a month, we're going to take $20 of that and put it into the Guatemala missions because I believe God is going to be faithful as we honor him. And I got to say, and Chris mentioned it, but you got to hear it. You need to get there. If you have never been on a foreign missions trip, you need to try one. You need to go. In August, hopefully before school gets back into session, we are going to send you. And if you have one of those teenagers that's giving you fits right now, you sign them up for the Guatemala mission ship. And you tell them, I bought you an all-expense-paid vacation. It's a back-to-school treat. And you, you send them, and they are going to work their fingers to the bone, to the glory of God. And they'll get there. They'll think, oh, yeah, when they, when they arrive, right, Chris? They'll arrive. They'll think they're at a resort. Oh, Oh, the day comes and you got to work. And I remember I, I, I spent my week working and my days in the resort. And I, and I told the guy that runs the organization down there, I said, I thank Jesus for my day job. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Okay. But anyway, uh, you got to go. Uh, we're going to continue to send teams down there maybe um, twice a year, but definitely at least once a year. And uh, I would encourage you to at least go to the seminar and find out about it. All right. Mark chapter 2. Let's get to the text, shall we? Let's stand together. Let's read God's word. And uh, in honor for his word, let's, let's ask him to speak to us after we read. Verse 1, Mark 2, here's what it says. And when he, that's Jesus, and when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, kind of like our parking lot. There was no more room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came, notice the words, they came, just they. Who are they? We don't know who they are, but we know what they did. Here's what they did. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. That is pretty cool. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes are standing there, and they're sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask him to speak to our hearts. Father, we uh, approach you today in the precious name of Jesus. We ask, God, that our ears will be open, our spiritual ears will be open, our minds will be receptive, and our hearts will be fertile soil to hear what you would say to us. No matter where we are on our spiritual journey, I pray that today you move us further down the road in your grace. And I ask, as we do every time we're together, help us to see Jesus and him alone. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said, 
Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So it's there in your notes, and it's the theme of this series. A life-giving church goes above and beyond for people because people matter to God. Can I get a good first service amen for that? Let's try it again because you were asleep at the switch. A life-giving church goes above and beyond for people because people matter to God. Amen. Amen. A lot of churches have a lot of different priorities. Some churches, their priority is their reputation in the town. They want to have the, the, the very popular church in town. Some churches are all about their musical styles. Some churches are all about the dress code. Some churches are all about the uh, doctrines and the uh, little uh, non-essential beliefs that they hold to dearly. Every church has to answer the question, what's our priority? What's priority number one? And I'm telling you something, I believe that God honors churches that put people first because people matter to God. When you look at a person, you are seeing the image of God. You are not seeing flesh, bone, and chemical reactions. You are seeing the image, the reflection of God on creation. People are who Jesus died for. He went to the cross, not for denominations, not for church buildings, not for uh, styles of music, not for doctrinal perceptions. He went to the cross for people. On the cross, he took one of the people who was dying with him to heaven. The thief on the cross who had been cursing Jesus on the cross suddenly came to Jesus on the cross, had a conversion moment right before he died, and what did Jesus say to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And you need to be a person. I'm telling you something. If you're a Christian, this is a non-negotiable. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to listen to me here. But if you're a Christian, this is a non-negotiable. You need to put people on a high, on the top of your priority list when it comes to the things in this life that you care about. People matter to God. The only thing that we can bring with us from this life to the next are people. Now, Americans don't get that because we collect everything except people. We collect all kinds of stuff that we don't need and we can't take with us. We collect money, and money cannot follow you from this life to the next. We collect things, and things cannot follow you from this life to the next. We collect cars. We don't even just have cars. We have little houses for our cars, don't we? What do we call them? The garage. Some of you have a heated house for your garage. People living on the street in Guatemala, and we got heated houses for our cars. We have, some of us have a heated house for our cars, but we force our cars to sleep outside. Do you know why we do that? Because we collected a whole bunch of other stuff that we decided to put in the house that we built for our car. Some of us have not just one TV, most of us have multiple TVs. How about this, quick survey of the audience. Who here has more than one television in your house? Put your hands up, heathens, come on. 
You know that we are just getting force-fed doctrines, opinions, ideas that are actually counter to our faith every single day through the screens in our homes. You understand that, right? We learn from the television screen how to cheat on our spouse, how to cheat on our taxes, how to lie and hate our neighbor, how to be jealous and discontented, how to be anxious, how to be worried, how to worry about all the news that will never touch us. We learn through that magic box all the things to keep us anxious, to keep us worried, to keep us sinful, and we have not just one, but two or three or four of them in our houses and we raise our children of them and then our children are depressed, anxious, worried, nervous and killing themselves and then we wonder why is this happening to us as a nation? We need to put God first and we need to put people first in our lives because people matter to God. Jesus died for people and the only thing we're bringing from this life to the next are the people that we win to Jesus Christ. Let us be a church. Listen, I'm not against television as a whole. You can watch some good, wholesome television programming. You can watch some cool things. You should be up to date on what's going on in your world. But let's be honest. Let's get our priorities right as a church. And let's be a church that is driven by the heart of God. People matter to our Father. And consequently, they should matter to us. Some Christians are gonna to get to heaven, they're gonna to get to heaven because they're not saved by works, right? You don't actually have to do anything other than to believe in Jesus to get to heaven. But some people, that's their game plan. I'm just gonna believe in Jesus until I get to heaven and you're gonna to get to heaven and you're gonna know no one. You're gonna be walking on the streets of gold all alone because you got no friends there. You got saved, sure, you made it to heaven, sure, but everybody's like, who is that? I don't want you to be lonely in heaven. I want you to have friends. I want you to have people greeting you at the pearly gates saying, I can't wait to tell you how thankful I am because what you did, how you spoke, how you lived, the money that you gave when Pastor Tim screamed at you all those times. Oh man, it helped me get here and I am up in this place today because of the faithfulness that you practiced on earth. How many of you are with me? I wanna have that kind of experience when I get to heaven. It starts with a heart for bringing people to Jesus. Some of you are depressed. Some of you let your problems get a hold of you and they just become mountains in your life and in your mind. And I'm gonna tell you the best way to destroy the problems in your life is to start worrying about other people instead of yourself. Not worrying, but concerning yourself with other people. Caring for their needs. This is why you need to go to Guatemala so that you can see just how good you got it on this earth. I tell you this all the time, but every time I go overseas, I come back to this great country, this most fabulous country, this greatest country in the history of countries on the face of the earth. And every time I come back from any country, I do two things. I get on, my, on, on the ground and I kiss it, and then I get to Dunkin' Donuts and have a medium iced coffee. I mean, we got it good. Come on, somebody say amen. You guys don't realize it because you are so inculcated by this culture, by what you see, by what you hear. But you got to get out of the bubble. You got to get out of the bubble so you can come back and get charged up for what God is doing in the world. Uh, I can't wait to have you guys meet this guy, Carlos Vargas from Guatemala, who, who owns Hope of Life down there. We're hopefully going to have him on our stage or on our video screen very soon, telling you about the life change that's happening through Hope of Life. He went from one acre 31 years ago to 3,000 acres today. He's touched thousands of villages, and in every village they do two things to change the village. In every village they do two things. They build a school and they build a church. Because we need to educate the young so that they can read their Bibles, get to church, and worship God, and learn how to live the way the, God, the one who made them taught them how to live. See, our problem as a country is because we have forsaken the Christian faith. I'm absolutely convinced of this. 
And there are people in our country that are so overjoyed at bringing in multiculturalism and different religions, and they praise them, and they pray, oh, isn't it wonderful that we have Muslims in our Congress now? And then they come out with their anti-Semitism and their hate-filled speech, and then we wonder what's wrong with them. Listen, there is one faith system that has blessed the world and brought prosperity wherever it is freely offered, and that is the Judeo-Christian philosophy rooted in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God who died and rose again on the third day for humanity. Now, you don't have to like what I'm saying. You can disagree with it. You can think that I am intolerant and bigoted, but I am not the one that's going to suffer when you reject the Christian faith. I know in whom I have believed. I know who Jesus is. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. I have full assurance and confidence. Where does it come from? It doesn't come from me. It comes from the grace of my heavenly Father who loved me and sent Jesus to give his life for me. This is the hope of the world. Christianity, the truth of Jesus, is the hope of the world. And it is our job to do everything that we can to bring men and women into the knowledge of Jesus. Some of you came to church today, you say, oh, great, it's another message about giving and doing for others. I really need help. Okay, you want to help yourself? Start helping other people. This is how you're supposed to take this word today. So I mean, like, I'm wrestling right now with my own personal issues, Pastor. I can't get off the ground on my own personal mat. I've been beaten up by the devil. The reason why you've been beaten up by the devil is because you are so focused on self, so focused on your needs, so focused on what your life should look like instead of what it is like that you have become a completely self-consumed Christian. And there is no more miserable experience on this earth than to be a self-obsessed Christian because the Christian gospel is about people not you. Jesus modeled it for us, laying down his life for people that hated him. And he found the joy of the Father in giving his life and putting his effort into making people know the Father. So I got to get to the points or we're never going to leave here today. How about that? (laughs) Number one, if you're taking notes, bringing people to Jesus helps them know the Father. Bringing people to Jesus helps them know the Father. The Bible says in Mark chapter 2 that the house was so packed they couldn't get in. Well, everybody wanted to come and see Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is healing lepers, casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's opening blind eyes. He's raising the dead. I mean, news spreads, and people come flocking to Jesus because they had needs. And the house is filled. But notice what it says in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says... Uh, Well, let's start with verse 2. Many were gathered. There was no room, not even at the door. And he was, underline those words, he was preaching the word to them. Understand this, that Jesus came to preach the word. The miracles were just supposed to point people to who he was to see that he had authority and power to hear what he had to say so that they could know the heavenly Father. Many people don't understand this. The reason Jesus came was not to perform miracles. How do you know this, Pastor? Because if you read the Bible, if you read the Gospels, every time Jesus performs a miracle, he tells the person who receives the miracle touch, shh, don't tell anybody. In other words, the miracles are not the thing. What's the thing? The Word. Why? Because through the Word, we know the Father. I want to give you some passages. They're there on your notes just to prove what I'm saying. John chapter 8, verse 28. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own authority but speak. Somebody say speak. Just as the Father taught me. I want you to know what the Father has to say. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus says, whoever has seen me 
has seen the Father. I, have, I am here to reveal the Father to you. The very next verse, uh, John 14, verse 10. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. How? Through the words that I say. John 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You keep the word of Jesus. You listen to the word of Jesus. You honor the words of Jesus. And listen, he says, and the Father will love him. How do we receive the love of the Father? By believing in the Son and trusting in him. And we, and we, Jesus says, when you listen to his words, we will come to him, you who listen to Jesus. We will come to him and we will make our home with him. How many people say something's missing in my life? They could have all the accoutrements of American life. They could have friends, money, homes, cars, a little house for their car. All the things that we, we think, this is what's gonna make us happy. And they still say there's something missing. Yes, what's missing? A relationship with your heavenly father. Now, if there's one thing that is wrecking our culture, it is fatherlessness. And I don't have to say this very much, because you know, you see the st statistics, you see the state of our culture, the state of our teenagers, the state of our children, the state of our homes. Serious problems culturally. In a country with so much blessing and so much material prosperity, when there's no father in the home, all hell breaks loose. One in three children today, one in three children today have no father living with them at home. Did you know that if a girl grows up without her father, she is, four, she is twice as likely to be obese when she grows up, four times as likely to get pregnant as a teenager. When a son has no father at home, he is twice as likely to commit suicide, three times more likely to commit violent crime. I hate to say this, it's not politically correct, but our prisons right now are filled with fatherless men and women. We need a relationship with a father who loves us. You say, Pastor, this is not helping me. I don't have a father. Or maybe you're saying, I am not as good of a father as I should have been. Well, I got good news for you. This is why the gospel matters. Because the answer to fatherlessness is a father. And Jesus came to bring us back to the Father that will never fail us, never leave us, never divorce our mother, never abuse us, never mistreat us, never abandon us, never forsake us. We come to the heavenly Father who loves us with an everlasting love through Jesus. Don't you see? What we're doing for the country, what we're doing in preaching the gospel is bringing people back to the Father who made them and who loves them. This is why what we do is so important. This is why we tell you to get involved. This is why we tell you to get in small group. This is why I tell you not just to sit here and listen to me, but get into small group and talk to each other and walk in Christ together with other people so that you grow in your knowledge of the Father because Jesus did not come just to fix temporary problems. He came to solve an eternal issue that we have, and that is our disconnection with the Father of heaven. But Jesus brings us back to him. I'm telling you something. This is the... This is the balm for our culture. This is the cure for our cancer. This is the problem that we need solved. We need to have a relationship with the Father who loves us. Think about this. What did Jesus say first about our prayer life when we come to him? What did he say? The very first words that should come out of our mouths when we pray is what? Our Father. 
He wants you to have a relationship with your father in heaven. So even if your earthly father forsakes you and leaves you, and by the way, the, the scriptures are filled with dudes who had bad fathers. I think of Jonathan who had King Saul as his father. What a piece of work. King Saul wanted to kill Jonathan, but Jonathan had a covenant with David. David's own father didn't like him very much either. And those two men were mighty men of God. How? Because they had a relationship, not with their earthly father, but with their heavenly father. And I'm telling you something, a relationship with your heavenly father can undo whatever damage a bad relationship with your earthly father may have done. This is why the gospel matters. Because when we bring people to Jesus, they get to know the Father, and it starts to heal them from, from the heart and change their lives. Number two, bringing people to Jesus requires faith and action. Bringing people to Jesus requires faith, but not just faith. It's got to be faith that can be seen. And so verse three says, they came. And I just love the fact that the scripture says they came. It doesn't name their names. And it's kind of like a vague way of referring to people, but it's like the people who are reading this in the first century in Mark's gospel know who they're talking about. And they came. Who are they? Well, we don't know their names, but we know what they did. They came. Oh, yeah, I remember this story. They came doing what? Bringing a paralytic on a mat. They couldn't get in. They couldn't get in because of the crowd. Now, quick question. Bible question. Who is responsible for the overflow of the crowd. Whose fault is it? Okay, you're not as biblically illiterate as I thought. Jesus, see you didn't wanna say Jesus because we don't wanna blame Jesus for anything, right? <laughs> Jesus' popularity caused a problem. There was too many people coming to him. Sometimes the popularity of Jesus will cause problems for other people trying to get to Jesus. And let me just say something else. Sometimes the church that follows Jesus will be a problem for you in relating to Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of people out there that let the littlest thing drive them right out of the church. What if these guys had given up? What if they had carried that guy all the way to Capernaum that day to find Jesus, got there, saw the crowd, said, Oh, no, it's too, too full. Let's go home. Let's go. I mean, what if they had done that? But there's a lot of church, there's a lot of Christians, a lot of people that do that. They let the littlest thing, littlest thing, stop them from getting a blessing from Jesus. They get offended by something the pastor said. They get upset because the music is too loud. They get upset because the church is not the way that they think the church should be. They get offended because somebody says something to them about their hair on the way into church. I can't believe those Christians. <laughs> And they walk out the door, and they've abandoned the blessing that could be theirs because people, man, listen, let me just tell you something. I grew up in the church. Let me just be honest with you. The church is filled with stinky people. You got to get over that because the people stink in church. You know why? Because they need to get clean. And the church is here to clean stinky people. I mean, if you go to a church where nobody stinks, don't go. If you find a church where nobody stinks, don't go. You'll stink it up. <laughs> There's no such thing as a clean church. What there is is a church filled with stinky, messy, nasty sinners who will let you down. But the reason why they are there is because they found who the healer is. And the healer is not people. The healer is Jesus. 
The church is not a museum for finished projects. The church is not a museum for polished projects, finished uh, objects. The church is a hospital for the broken and the hurting and the sick. Jesus said, I did not come for the righteous. I came for sinners. And if you meet sinners who let you down in church, you are at the right church because that's where they need to be. Coming to the one who heals and forgives and sets them free. So anyway, that's just a bonus today. They come and they don't let the crowd stop them. They don't let what people do stop them. And if there's one thing somebody here needs to hear, that's what you need to hear. Don't let what people do stop you from getting what God has for you. So they can't get in, so what do they do? They climb up to the top of the house with the guy on the mat. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but... um, you might, not, you might not be aware of this, but people are heavy. Amen, somebody. Some more than others. But have, have you, I know you've probably carried a child. Have you ever carried an adult? Yeah, they're heavy. Right? I don't make it a practice to carry adults. But they're carrying an adult through the hot Palestinian sun that day, and they get to the crowd, and they, can't, they try to get to the, the crowd's too big. What are we going to do? I got an idea. One of them said, let's climb to the roof. I have a feeling the other three were like, are you serious? This guy's heavy. Yeah, but he's worth it. And Jesus can do something. So they don't let what could stop them stop them. They climb up on top. I mean, it's one thing to carry a human being. It's another thing to carry a human being up to the top of a roof. So they do it. And they don't just let the roof stop them. They dig through the roof. This is, what is this? This is faith in action. Faith in action. Faith that does, that does not follow feelings. Faith that follows what is true. Jesus can heal him. And they dig through the roof and they lower him down. All kinds of work. Do you understand that it takes work to bring people to Jesus? It takes work. It takes work for people to get up early on Sunday morning and make this place comfortable for you. It takes work for people to give their money so that they, we can have a place like this. It takes work to make the gospel go out onto the television and through the airways right now. People work for this. Those of you who are watching online right now, sitting in the comfort of your home. First off, we're all a little bitter about that. Secondly, people worked to make that happen. It didn't happen magically through some angel coming down and going, poof. There you go, online ministry. No, somebody got up early and made sure that you could watch this message right now through the video screen. And it takes work to help people know Jesus. And they did that because they cared about you. And this guy was cared about by people who were willing to do the work. Faith in action. Faith in action. I'm so tired of people saying, I believe, but they don't have any action. If, uh, Paul Harvey said, if you don't live it, you don't believe it. You live what you believe. And let's be a people who believe that people are worth it and Jesus can change people. Amen, somebody. You're so quiet, you're making me nervous up here. <laughs> Verse 5 says, and when Jesus saw their faith, saw, underline saw. He saw it. Can people see your faith? Oh, I don't want to be one of those obnoxious Christians that bugs everybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about faith that cares. You don't have to say something obnoxious to people to care. You don't have to whittle them down by by, uh, witnessing to them constantly at the job to show that you care. No. You can be the guy that buys them coffees in the morning. Why? Because I love Christ. 
And you don't even have to say, I give you this coffee in Christ's name. You don't have to say something weird like that. <laughs> Just give him the coffee, for heaven's sakes. You be the person that doesn't complain about the boss. You be the person that doesn't gossip about the person in the office that everybody gossips about. You be the person that loves the person that nobody else pays attention to, and people will see it. That's called faith in action. That's what Jesus is looking for. When Jesus saw their faith, and I want you to write this down, their faith changed his life. And so then he says, when he sees their faith, son, your sins are forgiven. What? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. I don't know if you noticed Jesus, but he's lying on a mat. And he's lying on the mat not voluntarily. He's lying on a mat because he can't walk. And these guys walked across the hot Palestinian desert sun to get to you. They climbed up on top of the roof. They dug a hole. They did all this work. And they lowered him down before you. And all you can say is what? Your sins are forgiven? Are you crazy? Do you not realize that his real need is to walk? No, Jesus knows exactly what his real need is. And he doesn't say get up and walk first. He says your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus knows that the real problem that we have is not with what's on the outside. The real problem is what's on the inside. Are you listening to me? So number three, bringing people to Jesus changes them from the inside out. It should be changes, not changed. Bringing people to Jesus changes them from the inside out. This is what we do. We change people from the inside out. Now, we are modern Americans. We are people of modern technology, modern science, modern uh, comforts. And what we do is we let the modern comforts and the modern advancements and the modern technology and our minds and our thoughts and our advancements in what we know fool us into thinking that if we just apply external remedies, we could change the internal problem. No, we can't. You can have all the money, you can have all the uh, popularity, you can have all the things that people chase after and still be a mess inside. And every single day in this country, we get another news item that shows us that the people with everything are sometimes the most disputable, disreputable people on the planet. Can anybody say amen? I mean, it's true, it's true. I think about the guy in Colorado who had the American dream, the American dream, and two beautiful daughters and a beautiful wife and a third child on the way, but he was messing around on the side. And so what does this guy do? He decides to kill his whole family. Kills his whole family, throws his little precious daughters into an oil tank. Sick. Why? Because the real problem is internal, not external. And we think, oh, it's medicine. We just need to get the right medicine. And we pop pills like crazy. We are over-prescribing Americans right now. And then we complain about big pharmaceutical companies making money on their stock prices. But who gives them the money in the first place? People who think that the problem is a the answer to the problem is a pill and not the person of Jesus. And then, and then we think education is the problem. So we put all our hope in education. Oh, send them to college. Let them get a good job. And then they get the good job, and then they study something crazy like lesbian dance theory. <laughs> and they can't get a job, and then nobody will hire them, and so they come back to live with you. And they give you all kinds of problems. And what's the problem? The problem is not external. The problem is internal. 
Oh, you say, oh, maybe it's just, uh, maybe I just need a new place to live. And we move here, there, everywhere. And there's an old adage, it's a good old wise adage. It's a good old wise adage. Wherever you go, there you are. If you have problems here, you will have problems there. Get your heart submitted to the one who can fix you from the inside out, Jesus Christ. He doesn't come to fix the outside. He comes to heal the inside. And when you are healed here, it spreads to here, and it spreads to here, and it spreads all throughout your life, and you live at peace even with your enemies. Why? Because the one who was your enemy came and laid down his life for you and gave his heart, gave his blood for you so that you could live at peace with God. Inside out. And he says, your, your sins, verse 5, your sins are forgiven. And so then there's some people there, and they don't understand this, like many of us wouldn't have understood it. Who is this that forgives sin? Who is this that forgives sin? And, and, and uh, uh, I just want you to write this down. Our real problem is a sin problem. I've kind of been saying that already, so I don't need to, I don't need to expound on that. But you see there in Isaiah chapter 1, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity. He's talking about sin. Notice what he says then in verse five. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. Verse five. It's right there in your notes. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. In other words, there's a sin problem that leads to a physical problem that cannot be solved from physical measures. Is Exodus 15, Jesus said, listen, I mean, not Jesus, the Lord, which is Jesus, but he said, I am the Lord, your healer. You gotta listen to my voice and do what I say and healing will follow. Psalm 103, verse two says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. And then, the next line, look at this, please, please don't miss this. Who forgives, verse three, all your iniquity. And then, say the next line, who what? heals all your diseases. The intentional phrase, listen, is healing on the inside leads to healing on the outside. Are you following me? Is this too heavy for a snowy Sunday morning? Because this is gold, man. If you can get your heart healed, if you get this healed through the grace that is found in Christ Jesus, I'm telling you, it'll start to affect you from the inside out. And every area of your life will come into balance because your heart is right with the one who made it. Now, somewhere sitting there, verse 6 says, and they were like, who is this that forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Now, they're right. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. By the way, verse 8 says, perceiving their thoughts. Those verses about Jesus knowing what we think, those verses always freak me out. <laughs> they don't say it, they think it. And Jesus says, okay, let me just talk about what you're thinking. Because I'm God and I know what you're thinking. And he says, why do you question these things? And then he says, what's easier to say? What's easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and take your bed and walk. Now think about it. Put yourself in Jesus' position and ask yourself, what's easier to say to somebody lying on a mat paralyzed in front of you? How many know it's much easier to act religious and say, son, your sins are forgiven? <laughs> are they really forgiven? Who cares? I don't know. <laughs> I said it. I sound religious, right? <laughs> or do you say, get up, take your mat, and go home? Like, come on, that takes some guts right there. And Jesus says, the point of this miracle that I'm about to perform is to prove to you that I have the power and the authority to do the real work of your heart, to forgive you of your sins. So he says, 
so that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the guy does. If you've got your notes out, just underline go home, please, in verse 11. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Why? Because this man, for the first time in his life, had the ability to go home on his own. His sins were forgiven, and Jesus worked the miracle from the inside out, got him up on his feet. He went home, and who knows? Who knows? Maybe he went home, he found a girl, married her, had children, and became a good father. Because he met the father, he became a good father. And this is why what we do matters. Number four, bringing people to Jesus changes families and communities for good. I'm telling you something. You know that I'm not a big fan of the public school system, but I believe we need Christians in the public school system. My kids go to public school. I know that a lot of times they don't teach kids the right way, but we need Christians there with a conscience. Amen, somebody? What kind of doctor do you want? Do you want the pill-popping doctor or do you want the doctor that knows Jesus and won't overprescribe you and will tell you the truth and not be beholden to an insurance form? Let me ask this question closer to home. What kind of contractor do you want working on your kitchen? What kind? Somebody, yeah, exactly. Somebody that, somebody that will cut corners, overcharge you, stab you in the back, leave the job, or somebody with a conscience because God has changed their heart and made them generous, kind, and good. I want the Christian contractor. I want the Christian doctor. I want the Christian school teacher. I want the community in which I live to be saturated with God-fearing Christians because I believe that the church is the hope of the world and we need to build the church because when we build the church, we change the world. That's what this is about. So please, 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 circle that date, April 6th and 7th, because I want you to give to this, because it's not about buildings or roofs or parking lots, it's about people. And make sure that you listen to God and you be ready to be generous, because 10% of it anyway is not even going to this church, it's going to Guatemala. And let's be people who put our faith in action and believe and live what we believe.